this is David with Role Playing Public Radio, and today we are wrapping up uh, Red Markets Grapevine. Toy Store! And so, uh, first, I want to thank you all for listening and thank you, all of my players for such a wonderful, wonderful game. Um, it just, was our horror. <laughs> and my honor. <laughs> but um, I would like to introduce my players one last time, uh, starting with the player to my left. Hi, this is Christy. I had played Alex. And um, I'd like to get your gamer bio at the same time. Uh, what games have you played? All right, so most of what I've played is D&D 3.5, 5.0, Pathfinder. I've played a little Star Wars, Edge of the Empire, and the ancient D6 game, if that tells you anything. Uh, some Legend of the Five Rings, Shadowrun, Phoenix Dawn Command, and a little bit of Monster of the Week. A little bit here, a little bit there. So you're a little bit all over, which is good. Uh, what is your favorite style of play? I tend to go straight for the healing class. Just boom, healing class. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> and um, who or what do you uh, list among your gaming influences? Most of my gaming influence comes from reading a lot of fantasy novels, sometimes urban fantasy novels. You know, Terry Pratchett's probably one of my favorites because oh, it's fantasy and so tongue-in-cheek and, quite frankly, full of wonderful, wonderful puns. <laughs> and then the last one on uh, just the gamer bio, did you know what you were getting into with this? I had a basic idea how bad it was going to be just because I'd overheard a little bit. You know, it was worse than I pictured but I had at least an inkling, except for, you know, fish guts. That was oh, yeah. bad. That was bad. <laughs> hey, those fish guts saved your life. They did. And speaking of the person who saved your life, we have... This is Sean, uh, a veteran of role-playing public radio. Does that count? I mean, is that really what you'd call it? I don't know. Oh, yeah. A survivor? I, sure. <laughs> we've kind of got your game of, gamer bio with what games have you played. It's kind oh, of an just, all of the just, above. Yes. I, I've been doing role-playing games since, like, 88, so um, I'm old. Um, not really, but still, the whole thing, yeah, I've done, done quite a bit. And uh, as far as uh, Red Market's proper, I was in Fallen Flag. I was also in a number of uh, one-shots, including mm-hmm. one of our uh, two, actually two of our first vehicle test rules, which led to the birth of Curtis. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> uh, which, hit, which will never go away. Um, never. In As, fact, there's a reason why he splashed it this one, too. But yeah, the, uh, again, influence, what style of play do I usually go for? It changes based on mood, based on what I see in the group. If I have, like, an absolute carte blanche to just do anything, I'll probably see how uh, ridiculous I can make things before the end of it while still making it seem plausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how many war crimes can Straight I commit? Uh, not not literally like actual war. I mean, just like in this case, we did commit several war crimes. Um, <laughs> what plutonium? And several biological agents, and several chemical agents, and fire, and also explosives, fire. and jamming people. Yeah, I know it was not pretty. It uh, really wasn't. Um, so um, we kind of know a little bit about your influences just because of RPPR. But is there any? Um, any games, any people that you would say are influential to you? Um, and I'm not going to ask you if you know what you're getting into because you clearly did. Yeah, yeah. Which as is far why as you jumped in feed first. As far as influences, again, it's just a long time role playing. I, mean, I had a bit of a break in the middle, but I started, again, I started when I was like a kid. I got dragged in by my older brother. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, 
uh, elementary kid playing with a bunch of like middle school guys, you get killed a lot. <laughs> just that you get fragged. C just learned to be the meanest, the craziest, whatever, and they leave you alone, or they cheer you on. Fair enough. Um, so that brings us to Greg. Hi, I'm Greg. Uh, I played uh, the dearly departed Cross and later Desperado. Uh, so, what games have you played? Um, what is your favorite style? I was weaned on D&D 3rd Edition in high school right as it was uh, turning over to 3.5. Uh, I played a tad of 4th, didn't care for it much, although I'm not a super hard hater. Um, I'm running a 5th edition game right now. Uh, I've done D20 Modern, uh, Star Wars, Revised Saga, and Fantasy Flight. 1st edition 7C, 4th edition L5R, Monster of the Week. Uh, more, more recently with RPPR, I was in the GURPS after the bomb game, of course. And a few other things. Oh, Marvel Heroic role-playing. Oh, yeah, that one's a good one. And so, you did Base um, Raiders. I did oh, Base Raiders for a little bit. Yeah. Yes, yes, you did. Um, what is your favorite style of play? Style of play. The, the traditional class-based answer would be skill-based characters. My first ever character was a half-elf rogue. I like characters who are competent and can do a lot of things, have good technical skills. Um... More more recently, I've been trying to broaden my horizons, and I try to go for character personality concept first, which we can talk about that a little more when we talk more about Cross as a character. <laughs> which is coming, don't worry. And uh, did you know what you were getting into? I had listened to the entirety of the Brutalist campaign prior to this and a little bit of Fallen Flag. I still haven't finished listening to Fallen Flag, but I did understand the mechanics and the tone of the of the Red Markets world, so I'd say yes. And um, I also remember that uh, you played in at least one, I think maybe both of the uh, one-shots that I ran at game. That's right, I played both. I played one of the, I played the Fenceman the first time, and I played the Roach the second time, which actually influenced my decision to play, to build a Roach character. Awesome. Okay, and then that brings us to, last but certainly not least... Hey guys, I'm Adam. Uh, I started off playing Dutch till he was put down. <laughs> And then I took up the the reins of Alice after that, the uh, murder murderer. <laughs> um, really, it was it was a fun time. Uh, so, uh, what games have you played, and um, uh, what's your playstyle? <laughs> As for what games I've played, uh, I started back when I was in elementary school with second edition D anD. d I played that for a long time, long going campaigns with all my friends. Whatever we could get together every couple of months or whatever we'd play for as long as we could. Um, from there, I went to a lot of the White Wolf games, particularly Masquerade. Did a lot of, uh, did a good bit of that. I wasn't great into it. Didn't really dig too deep into that, but played lots of it. From there, I went on to Third Edition until Pathfinder, and then Pathfinder, then on out. Uh, other than that, pretty much a good mix of everything. A good bit of cyberpunk here and there. Uh, a couple of superhero games. Um, Really a little bit of everything. I like all of them, so I just try whatever I can whenever I find possible and I'll run it. Awesome. Um, what is your favorite style, and uh, who are your favorite influences? Okay, yeah, my favorite style, usually when it comes to like, campaign styles, I really enjoy the long-term building of something here. I want to create something and then have to use it later on. Um, as for character-wise, again, I kind of like the whole building of a concept. Like like with Dutch, and one, I, I like very basic characters that have to grow into it. It's just grow into heroic characteristics. I don't like people instantly who are heroes already that can do everything perfectly. I like I like the challenges of characters that can't be perfect till they have to become, you know, grow to that point. Excellent. And that dovetails very nicely into Red Markets. Yeah. 
Um, did you know what you were getting into? Um, I had a rough idea. I knew it was going to be pretty dark. Um, but overall, not really, honestly. But it was a fun group here that we played with a couple games together. So I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Sounds like a fun, different twist than the happy-go-lucky stuff I usually like playing. So a little experience here and there with the midnight setting for 3rd edition, 3.5. That was fun. So I kind of had a little dark streak, but not a whole lot of it. So, um, question from a different listener. Um, how did the group do all of the wonderful teamwork actions that you guys pulled off? And the question came up of how long have we been playing together to work so well in concert? So, I'm going to throw that one out to everybody in the group. How long have you guys been playing together? By this campaign, uh, everybody else can say, I, I will like out myself as having been, this is like the third or fourth game in with this group. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... <laughs> Hey guys! <laughs> I already knew Greg from uh, uh, Soaring Solutions mm-hmm. uh, and the that's Kirk Sutter Yeah, and uh, Dave and I knew from high school, so that's been a while. Um, uh, yeah, you so, were the uh, Athos to my Aramis. Yeah, and so we we usually can play off each other pretty well. Uh, but I, I did. I mean, I was already get, I was getting to know Adam and Christy, so it, it, you guys were really easy to work with honestly yeah. not that's not a, that's a great thing to say because uh-huh. there are people who run off on their own and get them get their asses, sorry asses killed on a regular basis this applies to a lot of people actually in RPPR. <laughs> that's how you and, die right yeah. so uh, and the teamwork with this group was so seamless that um, the listener who asked this question um, asked how many years has this group been together <laughs> so when, when you take me out of the equation that becomes a valid question yeah it does yeah so um, I met you at the first Vision Con I attended, I believe. Uh, yeah. I met yeah that group. So uh, that was you, about five, five or six five, years ago. That, that sounds about right. And I met Adam in college. Uh, yeah. You were were you already president of the group by then? Um, yeah. Well, since I was a year ahead of you there, I played with us another role playing group that started before that. Okay. And I sort of took over the reins when they all dropped out, got kicked out. Yeah, we we had we had a. College uh, role playing uh, guild yeah. that Adam was the president of, and when he graduated, uh, there was a call for volunteers to fill the president position, and nobody raised their hand, so I raised my hand. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been playing with Adam for about four years, yeah. give or take, and I've been playing with Greg for about five years. David, about three years, give or take. I've known you longer, but I hadn't gamed with you yet. Actually, I think that uh, prior to the start of Red Markets, um, it was actually closer to a year and a half. Possibly for actually gaming with you. For actually gaming, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've known each other for a while. Um, Yes. And funny thing, I've worked with Greg for, Mm -hmm. I want to say, how long have you been with the company? Seven years? Same as me? Since... Yeah, since the office in Springfield opened, so almost eight years. Yeah, we're, we're getting close to eight. Um, I remember that the first time that we met, I was talking to Greg about Springfield Game, but I'd walked up and started a conversation out of nowhere, and the entire time I was talking to him, the look on his face was the deer in headlights wide open my fingers emit mice! <laughs> <laughs> Who is this crazy person? Which, which is the way I am, not the way he is. That's... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm aggressively friendly. I met him, I went, oh, I'm going to make friends with this guy. Well, he looked at me and it was 
My fingers. <laughs> well, and that reminds me, uh, Adam, it might have been a while before I even realized you were in town, but I, yeah. I had started attending a Springfield uh, Game Expo a convention that's here in town in October, and uh, I just bumped into you. Yeah. Yeah, at I, the, I, th- I think it was the second of those events that I attended. I'm now volunteering full-time for that. Yeah. But we bu- bumped into each other after you'd moved back from uh, Colorado. Yeah. And uh, so we just started uh, hey, time back together. I know we like to play games. Yeah. yeah. Play games. Connections. Yay. <laughs> and so that dovetails into another question, actually, very nicely. Um, for RP challenges, um, who left their comfort zone the most? Yeah, I would definitely say Greg. Greg. Okay, so Greg put his hand up and Christy started pointing. Um, so Cross is decidedly not your normal. He is in the sense of being a helper. He is not in the sense that... I, I haven't... I've been pushing more towards story games, more towards... Not, not even necessarily rules light, because Red Markets isn't a rules light game, but... Well, games compared where to some of the other ones where you need a slide rule, it's, it is extremely. It's 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 a uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's relative. That in a long time. It's relative uh, compared. Yeah, compared to some, it is compared to like um, Apocalypse World. It is a bit crunchy, but it also has more emphasis on characterization and character development instead of just what are you good at. Yeah, I noticed that too. I like Greg's since I played with Greg for quite a while before that. I noticed how much he really pushed himself out of there for cross and whatnot. Yeah, almost maybe so. since I was listening to the re- uh, the recordings of this actually made me almost a little jealous from time to time. Like, oh, he really jumped in this. I wish I could have jumped more into it storyline wise, but I was still trying to figure out exactly what was going on. So. Yeah, after that first episode, when I had to decide, okay, is Cross going to retire and just be the medical point of contact, or am I going to keep running with this? Uh, that that was a moment, and Red Markets is a good setting to have that kind of conflict and to have a character that exhibits a mental, emotional flaw and a physicality to match, being figuratively and literally half a person. No, I mean, he was, he was kind of, yeah, he was he was already kind of broken when he went into the campaign, so it was a good opportunity to see how far I could run with that. I, I, and that was the other question. Uh, what led you to keep playing Cross, and um, was it as challenging as it sounded? It was a challenge. I basically, at the end of every session, until he broke, I asked myself, okay, is this the right opportunity for him to bow out? Should I push the roach mechanic? Should I burn his humanity faster? Or should I just see how long this character can hobble on trying to cope with everything? And that's a conversation that I had with myself at the end of every session, and oftentimes in just evenings, uh, thinking over, okay, what are we doing next week? Ellen, I just want to let you know that, one, it really did show, and... Cross is one of the most memorable characters that I have ever had the privilege of sitting at a table with. Um, He was absolutely amazing. And um, thank you very much for playing him to the end, for bearing the cross, as it were. Not the first time that pun was made in the game. Not the first time. And it will not be the last. All the, the running jokes. I, I will actually, I just kind of want to butt in a little bit, sorry, with the... I am so glad we did not old Yeller cross. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. I was ready. I was totes re- uh, sad that I was ready. But, uh, but <laughs> no, you were Vicky. Vicky was ready to do it's, that to it's anyone. It's practicality. Anyhow, 
And uh, but no, Cross really did bring up bring about a lot of uh, a lot of really great emotional and tense moments that came up. Yeah, mm-hmm. due to Cross's willingness to actually play ball. <laughs> and I do have to uh, jump in real quick. I've got questions for every character, but um, I want you guys to think about some of your most emotional campaign moments because I'm going to come back to that one um, for uh, Christy and for Adam. Actually, uh, we know that this was your first time playing Red Markets. Um, how was your first time playing on Mike? Um, did you enjoy playing on Mike? Um, were there specific challenges that you had for it, and how did you work through those? Um, for me, it really wasn't that bad. Once, as soon as I realized I could be myself, and language didn't matter too much, um, I just sort of the mic was there. And I just played like I normally do. So it was just me being me, ignoring the mic entirely. This is probably honestly the one I'm having more trouble with. It's just right there and it's straight about the mic stuff. So, oh, and I'll be practice. honest, it's <laughs> it's one thing for me to run a campaign. Yeah. It's one thing for me to go, all right, this is a game that we're doing to be fun with the players, to sit and talk about it and second guess a lot of the things that I ran in it. This is harder for me to do this than to say, all right, so uh, Doris just got killed in front of it. What are you guys going to do? Yeah, what I really liked, though, was when I actually just got done listening to the recording, you know, going through all the episodes, literally finished it up today, and it's actually really nice being able to hear it all. I thought I'd hit my voice in the mic and that sort of thing, but it's actually really nice listening to it. Like, yeah, this is actually really cool. I, I kind of enjoy it a lot. So, yeah, that was my view. I hate my voice, but that's because I sound different to me than I sound to the rest of you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Christy? Well, you know, I've, I was in choir for a very long time, so you kind of got used to being in front of an audience in person. Uh, so being online's a little, you know, harrowing, so to speak. But I've been out there before, so it wasn't a huge deal. I actually have not gone back and listened to the recordings yet just because I do get embarrassed easily. <laughs> and it's like, oh, gosh, what do I sound like? How did I play? <laughs> Although, you know, it's one of those... I enjoyed it thoroughly. I like that the game is documented for history on this Mm -hmm. because it was a wonderfully fun and horrific campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, Cross doing his swan dive there (laughs) really tore us all up. But I had fun with it. I think the worst time I had with it, though, is one or two of those sessions I had a bad cold and trying to not cough at the mic and sucking on cough drops like crazy, just trying to keep my voice going. Well, I think, darling, that's something that we all do deal with a little bit. And having listened to it again, I don't hear a single cough. Or at least I don't have any of them that just jump out at me. I mean, there's a few coughs in there, but I can't put a voice to who did it. In fact, I'm fairly certain that quite a few of those are mine. Uh, A few of them are mine. Excellent. There you go. Um, For Sean, uh, we were asked for a little bit greater detail on Vicky's ending, and is it okay if we come back to that one? Yeah, let's let's, let's put a pin in that. Uh, There's a lot more to go into before that. Um... There were questions about the most emotional campaign moments, and this time I'm going to go from right to left. Adam, what do you see as the most emotional moment for you or the one that you want to talk about? And once you mention it, though, by the way, we're going to take that moment off the list, and then somebody else doesn't get to touch back on it and go, oh, no, it was uh, totally the moment where uh, Ethel went streaking. Boogadae, <laughs> <laughs> um, boogadae. Poor, poor Ethel. I think... Um 
as much as probably isn't one that most people think of, probably one of the more emotional moments that I had personally with it was that section when I first got let into the mall, I had to actually evict the one guy. It wasn't so much that I felt emotional yeah. about it, just that, hey, I'm actually doing something productive with this. Um, really brought me closer to the character, which was interesting. I'm trying to hear, you know, Dutch was here for his boys. That's what he was doing. So I actually got to move from the outside into the mall. Um, so surprisingly, it wasn't, you know, heart-wrenching emotional, but that's definitely the moment that struck me the most. Um, the rest of the time, I mean, even my own death was half expected. So I was like, eh, it sucked, but it was expected <laughs> at some point to happen. Fair. But that moment of actually being able to say this mall is not just a place that I've got a tent pitched outside of, it is actually my home. Yeah, yeah, I felt like definitely an accomplishment there. Made me actually feel good in the campaign for once, which is rare for red markets. But uh, for some reason, that one just really stood out to me for on the emotional level, just not the sorrow one or horror like it should have been. So, Well, picking a happy moment is it's good. Yeah. Um, Greg? Uh, I have to I have to choose between the two most obvious ones, uh, Cross's near death and Cross's actual death. Uh, I think I'm gonna actually pick the the near death, the first session, because that action colored uh, Cross as a person and colored my perception of the campaign for the rest of the game. Uh, I had a point of will. I don't remember if it came up on Mike, but I was debating with myself whether to spend that will on that perception check. If I succeeded, I would have seen the vector coming. So that one decision could have changed everything, but instead it happened. So every time we get into a situation, in and out of character, I'm saying to myself, what could, literally, what could possibly go wrong? And, yeah, that's, that influenced so many decisions that Cross made. Ellen, from my standpoint on that one, um, it was one of the harder moments for me as a um, as the market, as the facilitator for the game, to sit there and go, oh, this is going to go pear-shaped, I know this is going to go pear-shaped, to let it actually happen. And, um, and I obviously didn't know that my character was immune until uh, until Alex made her check to to get the blood off of the console and uh, and read the blood test so the 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 I don't want to die moment that took me a minute to channel because I was trying to put myself in those shoes and go okay I've prepared myself for this moment but in this moment nobody wants actually wants to die so how do I react to that moment where oh god is actually happening and that's how I pulled that off. And just so you know, it was... It's hands down one of the more emotional moments of the campaign. That was actually the moment that hooked a lot of our listeners in because the fact that that happened, that you nearly died in episode one, set the bar so freaking high for the rest of the campaign. Exactly. Yeah. In a way, I kind of hate you for that just a tiny bit because <laughs> I knew that session one was... I didn't expect for it to be the session that everybody would listen to. And I'm like, oh boy, now I have to step up my game. I have to be on point for the rest of this campaign <laughs> just from this one session, just from that one moment. And um, you, you made me work hard for this one, buddy. But, but again, that sets the tone for just how dangerous place the loss is and what it kind does. of place Red Markets is. Mm -hmm. And it also made me second guess the um, one minor change that I threw in because with all of the uh, all of the things in the campaign I was using this to try to learn how to be a better facilitator how to be a better 
uh, market, but be a better dungeon master. And one of the complaints I've had a lot in the past is that I tend to take it extremely easy on my players. So I made a commitment to myself that for every job that you guys did, I was going to use sliders for the complications. Um, normally, in every Red Markets game, there's a complication that comes up on every single job. But the better you guys negotiated your price, the more complicated the complication was. And you guys hit full expenses on this first one, mm -hmm. so you hit the hardest um, level of complication that I could throw at you. And you survived it, mostly. <laughs> and so I had to keep in Not mind quite that... Dead. And that, yeah. I believe the actual line was, I have to live. And, the, and I believe the response was, out of character, I'm so sorry. In character, something like that. The in character was, are you sure? <laughs> no, the, the line was, I don't want to die. I, was, I, was, I, was, I don't want to die. Yeah, something like that. I was like, I don't want to die. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah. It's not um, going to be pleasant. So, Sean. Um, I'm going to temporarily pass because I have kind of a meta statement to make about some of the emotional moments just to see, to kind of sweep a few up after okay. Christy. Oh, Christy? Well, now uh, I have to choose. <laughs> yes, you yeah. do. And this is a Sophie's choice. I know it, it is. It is because there's one I'd like to talk about, but then there's the other I'd like this to talk about. This is Red Market. Something is gained, something, something is lost. Something is lost. All right, well, I'm going to have to go with Cross's walking to the sunset because that one actually brought real tears to my eyes when, when Greg read off his speech. Oh, the suicide letter. The suicide letter. It, I almost broke a couple times. Oh, man. That, that was very heart-wrenching. It was very well phrased and thought out and... I was I was crying, y'all. <laughs> oh, she was. Um, when we lost the recording, that was one of the things that I was most sad about. Is that we lost the uh, job interview vignette, <laughs> which, was, which was so much that was, fun, that was great. which was comedy gold, and it was very much needed comedy gold because um, Greg, you really did bring down the house. I remember that Christy was crying so hard that there are tears running down her face, but at the same time, she's trying not to sob out loud on mic. And, um, and I don't like crying. <laughs> I don't go to those weepy women movies or anything like that, because, no. bleh. But, but yeah, it's just tears, and it's the... I was crying, too. Don't do this, do me. <laughs> but, you know, as a player, it hurt, and then the character was deeply hurt, because one of her main things, her soft spot, was no man left behind. And it hit her twice because, number one, he left them, but they also let him down. They left him behind. So she got a double whammy with that suicide note just on her soft spot. It, it was... That, that was a really rough bit. Yeah, it was definitely a gut punch in the jiggly bits. And um, I knew it was coming, which is the only reason why I wasn't weeping the same way you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> and it hit. It hit hard. So to kind of address some of the 
emotional stuff here. Uh, if you really like break down the characters, we all kind of we had our central drives, and the way I would summarize each character briefly is uh, Dutch, the initial character. He was actually kind of a noble. He was a noble soul, kind of a paladin, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was he was our meat shield who stood up in front, and it was a great fucking tactic. That okay, if Dutch hadn't died from. Where he, how he died, <laughs> he would have died from doing that tactical later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I hate saying it. That's it, we used well, it so thoroughly. I'm like, we're gonna yeah. have to change this soon. The, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, the Dutch door jam. Um, that was one of the best tactics that I've seen, uh, bar none. And that goes back to that whole teamwork thing. Yeah, but the you last anchovies is a fun one to play too. Oh no, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Um, as far as Cross, Cross is central thing. I mean, Cross was just a suffering bastard who was just <laughs> crawling. I'm not dead yet. And it was brilliant. Okay, because you yeah. played it. You played it for a little bit for last, but mostly straight. And I, I thought that was that was great. Uh, Lex, she was originally Alex, but later had to be changed to Lex. Yeah, her, think about that. Yeah, her her, her, her central it thing happens. was she was more kind of an on the ground on the ground worker. She was a technician. She was very upfront, hands on. So she was kind of. The, I, it sounds weird. Her primary emotion was direct focus. Does that make sense? She's like always like specifically on that point, but not very far ahead. <laughs> so that's it's, it. Brought a lot of character, uh, and I guess Vicky, it's just rage, pure fucking rage at everything in every moment. So it was like for playing the character, she's just like this. this Tiny veil behind a raging, it was like a horrible tyrant beast. Uh, and at first, it was a very thick veil, and she's like, "Oh no, this is a very, very democratic process, and we all have a say, except you." And, uh, <laughs> and then she, the velvet got worn off of that time. And by the end of the ga- campaign, she's like screaming and throwing heads at crowds and like telling people just like cut people to bits. This is what happens when you cross us. Uh, I think it was, this is what happens when you fuck with us. Because yeah. uh, that was, again, that was a very charged moment, but we had a lot of them. And then there was the one that I just, I believe most of my my out-of-character dialogue was, I'm so sorry, I'm so fucking, oh god, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And then it was, hey. Hey, Dutch. <laughs> I heard it was Sunset or something. I think it was yeah. Sunset. 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 What, Pop? That's weird. No. God, the whole tension before that just yeah. like built up. And I just felt... I, I felt bad, but at the same time, I explicitly designed Vicky to be a horrific piece of shit. I hate played the character. And I'm glad that Dutch responded to that question the way he did. I'm no. glad he didn't just capitulate and start going through the motions like, no, what are you talking that about? That was perfect. Yeah. And that's what I was prepared for. And it just works so well as a scene. Yep. But again, the whole like, you're going to do one of three gestures, Cross. <laughs> one of three gestures. You're not going to explain it. You're just going to do it. And then Alex like, hey, what's going on? Take her away. <laughs> and, and, you will go forward and scout. <laughs> and you are being protective in a way on that. Yeah, that, that's because she's a fucking tyrant. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that she didn't care about your psyche, but didn't need another broken character. Well, again, the, in the missing episode, right. uh, everybody had their own responses to the death. Uh, I believe it, by that time, uh, Adam had switched to Alice, yeah. who mm-hmm. was more of just straight-up predator vision. Yeah, um, pretty and, much. Pre- a, a, yeah. a true predatory figure. Uh, and by that point, you know... Yeah, Adam went for full murder hobo on us and for the last character. No, yeah. no, it, it made sense. It uh, so Alice, is, Alice, Alice had that animal mother moment of Better him than me, and, then, <laughs> and you know, yeah. Lex is just like bursting out in tears, and Vicky just fucking trashed the place. 
True. throwing shit, screaming. The outright emotion was actually just like it was supposed to be look like a temper tantrum, but deep down, it was that conflict of this was a person, this is my this is my subordinate, I was responsible for this person, but at the same time, how fucking dare you? Bail on us! Yeah. And that emotion... is a realistic one for... It it was realistic, and it also just emanated out of the character. In in the movie that was playing in my mind, listening to this happen, I wasn't seeing it from inside Cross's room with you throwing around furniture. I was seeing from the outside, among the crowd of civilians, hearing this cluster F-bomb and all these crashes and thuds <laughs> and, going, cheers for and and every once in a while a piece of furniture would just fly out the front door and I was a person in that crowd going I want to know what's going on but I'm not going she near that. She terrifies me beyond all rational thought. <laughs> yeah. And then like the, the, the closing scene would probably be like her walking out, smoothing out, you know, her yeah. basic, you know, B outfit and going... <sighs> We'll be interviewing new medics this afternoon. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then just walking back in like nothing happened. Yep. Uh, I guess there's a reason I picked red for her symbolic color because that's just like, uh, you know. Well, and I want to touch on two things at once. Um, somebody uh, wanted to give some mad, mad kudos for NPC death. And uh, just so you guys know, as far as the job lines go, um, depending on which job lines you had pursued. Basically, whoever drew the short straw on third job line would have been the one that had led you to the place with the people that would have caused that person to be murdered. So it could have been Doris. It could have been Curtis. Damn it. Curtis never dies. (laughs) Or it could have been Zero. But um, as it turned out, it was Doris. And I have never seen a party come together so fast for revenge. Um, they took down gonna, our Doris. Yeah. yeah. I've got my campaign notes here. And um, I just have to tell you that uh, the Major had a job for Cabela's and the equilibrium was black eight, red eight. So it was a 16 job. Uh, Zero had a job that was worth 14, seven and seven. Uh, Rodney, the one that you guys took um, for Doris's death, the equilibrium was three and four. You didn't check the other jobs at all. <laughs> you didn't know that they existed. You had no idea that there was other job lines out there. You laser like focused on Doris's death. Don't fuck with my clients. Hashtag Lady Boss. <laughs> uh, that was the other thing that I wanted to touch on as far as the emotional. I had never seen the group come together. Everybody wanted revenge. And everybody had a different motive behind it, but everybody wanted revenge. It was, oh no, we are avenging Doris's killers. And you were in complete agreement on that. On the surface, the reasons behind it were different. Um, This is the sweet old lady who has been taking care of us. She was too nice to die. She didn't deserve to die, Mm -hmm. Alex. Um, Dutch, this is the woman that feeds my children. This is the woman that takes care of my kids, and I do everything for my kids. And for that, this person is going to have to die, whoever they are. Uh, Cross. Cross had more of a motivation of, I saw this woman die right in front of me. Somebody murdered her and made her bleed out in my arms. And 
that this is not going to fly. And then in addition to that, it's also this is a woman who cares for the enclave. She makes sure that everybody gets fed. She may not feed everyone the best food, but she feeds them the best food that she can. And just as Cross is the medic for not just the group, but also for the enclave, um, he saw her as the fellow caregiver. And Vicky, that that's my bread and butter, your fucking way. Anger. <laughs> and also technically in her own sick way. Doris was the closest thing Vicky had to a friend. <laughs> um, and how fucking dare you? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's that's where it turned to the ass-whooping lynch mob that it was. It was. Mm-hmm. And um, I just have to say, it was it was a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. I don't have to... I'll have to think I'd agree with that. I think the fact that it was Doris was the one that we ended up doing. I think it was one, now that you explain the other ones who it could have been, definitely seemed to make the most sense for us to really get to that point. I mean, the Rambo or whoever the major was that you're talking about there, he's still with the Cabela's guys, which, as I understood, were a little crazy. Oh, Zero was already a latent. I'm sure if we'd interacted with them more, we would have gotten deeper with them than what we did. I think that's which, key. We, yeah, we took, yeah. we took enough some... jobs from Doris. We had regular interactions with her, and that built... The, yeah. that, that there identity. was a rapport. Yeah, there yeah. Was, that, was, that voice that voice was so iconic. Her mannerisms, the fact that she was that she always had a cigarette, whether it was lit or not, usually lit. Well, to, usually lit. Depending on how you want to look at it, from a uh, from an economic or a personal viewpoint, no matter what, we were invested in her. Yes, yes. yes. very much. Both senses. And it could have been any of them, but I said, it, was it was both her. senses. It was a, yeah. a financial and an emotional investment. Yeah. So and um, just to jump into some of the uh, job lines that went unexplored. Um, had you taken jobs with Zero, uh, there would have been three things that you would have noticed. I tried to give each of the main characters that you were going to interact with some kind of feature that stuck out. Um, I'll touch on NPCs in a little bit, because uh, 95% of the NPCs that you ran into in this campaign came from a very specific place. <laughs> um, that place, of course, being my ass, which I pulled them out of as we needed. Well, is, we, we did contribute the base inspiration for a lot of them when we were mm-hmm. pulling up, you know. Yeah. I know I know a guy, hold on, what are we going to call him? We're going to call Here's, this person Boone. We're going to call this person, you know, Crusader Billy Bob, which is just a personal joke for me. And it's, <laughs> I had Howard the Sweeper. Yeah, because reference for a few people out there. But for me, the, the Crusader thing, if you guys haven't listened to uh, the previous campaign that I was in, uh, Fallen Fly. Yeah. I was playing a crusader, and all of my contacts were crusader so and so. So it was crusader just Jenny. A, yeah, crusader Jenny. You called crusader, crusader Jenny, and um, crusader Jenny referred you to crusader Billy Bob, which we'll touch on him in just a moment. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it, that, that's not how it's written in the book. <laughs> but um, as far as um, the different characters that you could have run into, um, some of the ones that I statted up that were. So not appearing in this picture. Um, <laughs> Zero was a latent, and she was going to start out with a bit of a Glasgow grin. And I'm not sure if you guys picked up on this, but even though the meetings with her were briefer uh, later on, the more that you met with her, the worse the damage to her face got. Um, so she was a latent who knew that she was dying. Her entire job line was, I need you to tie up these loose ends. There's a bunch of people that need to die before I do. And um, in the case of the guys from Cabela's, on the surface, they're a bunch of crazed assholes who have holed up in a sporting goods store and turned it into Thunderdome. But if you get a little bit beneath the surface, um, what they were doing is that they were 
trying to protect the enclave in their own way uh, through military might and through really odd use of tactics. Um, the first job was basically get us the stuff so that we can arm up a little bit. The next job would have been there is a stampede coming and we need you to blow up this canyon out in the middle of nowhere and once you do it's going to block them off and it's going to create a natural wall further out there. Uh, the next one that they were going to give you was um, something to do with the aqueducts. It was going to be place these charges in the aqueduct and they were basically going to make a moat further outside of Grapevine. So in their own way, they're basically using some of the old Vauban books on uh, fortification and trying to make Grapevine more secure by creating natural channels for the stampedes that could be coming because they knew that the Enclave was running low on ammunition. Uh, they knew that there's only a limited amount of it that they can get, so they decided what we're going to do is we're going to use our explosives to the best use. And um, if we do it, it looks like a bunch of crazy hillbillies in this store doing it. Yeah. But if we hire takers to do it, <laughs> doesn't directly tie into us. <laughs> so uh, those were some of the job lines that went unexplored. Um, but when you get right down to it, um, the Doris job line was very straightforward from the very beginning. She's trying to feed the people, and she's trying to find ways to make feeding the people work a little bit more. And I thought that that was my own tiny little um, tidbit on um, the community aspect of how Grapevine matured. I tried to give you guys jobs to make Grapevine a better place, and it was up to you as to how to do that. But that was the thing that really struck me about the group in the very beginning, is that if you had an opportunity to make Grapevine a better place, that was going to be the job that you were going to pursue. Uh, usually for our, we all had our own reasons for it, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Typically, we typically went for make it better. And out of character, the, uh, f the 3D food printer was one of those nice little touches in the setting. I realized that Red Markets is the not-too-distant future, and uh, a lot of the the technological advancements like the Ubic uh, network are based on theoretical technologies that kind of actually exist, like the Google balloons. And the 3D food printer is one of those things that doesn't exist, but it sounds like it could exist. I believe they actually do have working prototypes. They do. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. I based it off of an article I read on um, Popular Mechanics website, I think, and they actually showed how it worked. And I thought, oh my god, this is a beautiful thing. But mostly what they use it for printing now is like pasta. Yeah, fancy pasta. It's super fancy pasta. But um, wow. I thought, give it enough time. No. Yeah, just, just the idea. The future pasta. idea of it was we're going to make it, they're going to be able to 3D print steaks. They're not going to be real steaks, but they're going to be 3D steaks. It did give us the chance to keep saying the phrase pork pellets. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you know. yeah just the idea that you could open up uh, Science Weekly or watch SciShow on YouTube or something and and here's a thing that they're working on and in Red Market that could be a real thing yeah. and then some mm -hmm. that was fun and um, not a question again but um, one of the listeners wanted to give absolute kudos for just the way the Tiburon worked um, your name is very fitting because like a shark you keep moving forward 
Um, I'm giving Adam credit for the shark thing because he <laughs> he was really pushing the shark at first, and then we just bounced it around like, no, no, we gotta we gotta make it sound a little bit a little bit cooler. Yeah, and we, I, God, I still wish we'd done more to screw with the chortos. <laughs> yeah. I would say too. Um, the name also fits because when blood in, or when there was blood in the water, you guys went into a frenzy, and it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> it seemed like you had three plans. It's plan A, which is this is what's going to happen if everything goes perfectly right. Plan B, okay, this is what happens when things go a little bad. And plan C, fuck it, we're going crazy. Uh, yeah, actually, technically, you can, you can quote a character from the uh, CW Flash series, Captain Cold. Make a plan. Execute the plan. Watch the plan fall apart. Make it up from there on out. Something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's about that's about how it usually ran. So, yeah. and insane kudos for the insane plans because when everything went pear shaped, you guys, just you just kind of, kind of went, "All right, we're doing it live." <laughs> <laughs> the hardcore Henry approach. <laughs> yeah. The. Uh, Oh sh! Uh, okay, do we run or do we shoot? Fish guts. Fish guts. Fish guts. Uh, oh, oh, fuck. There's a ton of traps here. <sighs> Give me your arm. <laughs> you use his arm. Use his arm to open it. Do it. <laughs> Actually, here, it give me more. a leg up here. I think it was uh, cross lift that with your arm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, had I, had that. <laughs> I don't know. We used your leg to set off traps. Yeah, uh-huh. it was use the leg to break the traps. That's- that was something I felt bad about that I kept forgetting and that I didn't play that angle up as much mechanically or uh, narratively. Honestly, as I, I think that it fit for uh, Cross's mental state a lot better because the moment where you backhanded the guy and I said, which arm are you using? <laughs> and you just kind of went, it would probably be the metal one because that's my right arm. That, that, yeah. was, that one was a conscious decision. I thought that would be funny. But I went. I went on YouTube and tried to find uh, uh, documentaries or things about how a person functions day to day who has prosthesis, and uh, I didn't get very far in that. Uh, I didn't find what I was looking for, and that's why I had moments like, "Are you really going to sleep with your prosthetics on?" <laughs> but I mean, you don't have the uh, rehabilitation phase that a lot of people would have now. You, we just. Hooked you up with some stuff and had somebody slap them on you, yeah. uh, which is that. That's does that's this work? work. Um, start well, start practicing. We got another job next week. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. And it also falls under the mentality of the keep moving forward and fuck it, we're doing it live. Um, <laughs> eventually, you're going to figure out what some of the consequences are there. But uh, yeah, I, um, I gotta say something. I didn't. Swimming. This this didn't uh, get on microphone because I was thinking about it in my head. But in the second episode, we had the vignette uh, where Cross was trying to play basketball with Evie, and uh, and was trying to get used to the prosthetics. In my head, I was already before shit went down in that first session. I was thinking about vignettes for future sessions, and one of the my first ideas was I want to play sports with Evie and. When when David announced that this was the cost of my character living, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so sad." <laughs> yeah, but you still managed it. Yeah, it was until fun. you had to take a lap <laughs> hey, for busting the balls. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, ball buster, you. <laughs> so um, there's another question. I'm gonna answer real quick. Um, was the intent to be a short campaign? Um, the original intent was that we were going to play this game until we hit retirement. Um, 
judging by sessions number one, where everything went pear-shaped, and session number two, I started plotting it out and trying to figure how long of a game is this going to be. And I will say that it got did get cut extremely short as far as my plan, because my yeah. initial plan was going to be six sessions, and then we fit session one, and I wadded up that outline, <laughs> I threw it out, and I outlined 12, and then we hit session two, and I wadded up that outline. Instantly doubling, almost tripling your your uh, expenses, your month-to-month -month expenses will do that to you. I thought yeah. the bear raid worked fine. <laughs> oh, it did. It really did, but... Um, I got extra, like, stretchy pants out of it. Shit, man. <laughs> sure, and I had a spa day. Yeah. Yes, you did. It's and, good for your uh, skin, I promise. <laughs> You'll get 30 seconds, pose. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the biggest challenge for me um, was in trying to anticipate and then backpedaling and then trying to anticipate. And the really, I want to say funny, but not in the funny ha-ha, but in funny oh uh, way, was the fact that I actually predicted it about right that it was going to be nine jobs. But it was entirely because Cross decided to go out in such a way as to use his death for something good, which is a very Cross thing to do, and to use his death to somehow manage to pay for everybody else's retirement. And that is another another reason to respect the fallen cross but it also threw the biggest monkey wrench into that outline out of all of them because I'm like alright it's going to be 15 sessions it's going to be 15 sessions and I'm just slowly but surely working my way along and then when he told me uh, what his plan was and I calculated up the expenses on it I didn't say a word to Greg at the time this is the first time that I've actually brought it up but that really did cut the campaign short there were oh yeah Mm -hmm. A lot of things that were still left uh, hanging in there, but as far as storytelling goes, that is the that is the perfect way that the campaign could have ended, and I couldn't have asked for anything more. Yeah, when I made Desperado, I he wasn't a joke character, but he was kind of an experiment because I knew we were nearing the end of the campaign. I didn't know that it was that the next job was going to be the Mister Joel's. If we'd gone a little bit longer, Vicky would have secretly loathed Desperado for not being a medic. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been glaring at him and telling him to do increasingly horrible, dangerous shit. I'm sorry, it's just because she was she was reaching Red Queen status so quickly. And he would have done it without question because he's a thrill seeker. He wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have caught on. It would have been hilarious. Okay, Desperado. Do you see that ledge over there? Remember all those video games you're going to mantle on over? And then you're just going to like... Jump down, whoop and holler a few times, do the cowboy thing, and shoot as much as you can, then run away. It's very simple. We're going to be on the other side of the compound. <laughs> I mean, it would have eventually ended up like that to the point where I was hoping that you would, like, take a swipe at Vicky and probably, you know, again. And he just spent the whole time John Wayne the fuck out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> John Wayne or John Wooing? Either oh, one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Channel Wayland. Pilgrim. <laughs> Guns are Kimbo. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, it was it, it was actually a really interesting, interesting twist there. So, and um, another thing to call out and ask what you guys thought about this one um, in the book itself, uh, the DHQS are 
kind of the system baddies, and the moths are kind of the system good guys, but they're freedom fighters, and so their methods aren't always the absolute best. Um, what I tried to do with this is I tried to paint both of them in shades of gray. Now, I'll admit that it was heather and charcoal, <laughs> but it was still gray. I was trying to bring the DHQS from being not a bunch of sadistic assholes and paint the moths in a slightly more antagonistic light. Um, the actual moths you never encountered, and um, in one of those hidden jobs that didn't really get touched on, you were going to find out that you were interfering with a lot of moth plans because depending on whether you were working for Zero or whether you were working for um, the Cabela's guys, one of those two things was going to get in the way of the moths and they were going to tell you in no uncertain terms that they weren't happy about it. And they were going to demand satisfaction in the form of, you need to pull off this job for us because that was one of our listening posts that you took out with those explosives or uh, that person that you killed was um, one of the people that was feeding us information on this enclave, you ass. That uh, <laughs> open-air open electrical field that you completely had destroyed by a bunch of fucking bandits? <laughs> um, whoops. <laughs> yeah, we, we were using that to power a few things. And at first we thought it was actually the DHQS because that transmission. <laughs> we don't like you now. <laughs> we really don't like you now. But I was also going to, um, when you actually encountered the DHQS a second time, the first group that you ran into was basically a bunch of paper pushers. And they were willing to let, or they were willing to work with you to a point. Um, until you mentioned a few certain things that were immediate red flags in the system, and they said, okay, we need to nuke the site now, so you can get out or not. It's up to you. <laughs> I think it's the line I used, actually, isn't it? <laughs> actually, I think that's the line that they used on you, is mm -hmm. you can get out or not, choice is yours. Um, you're not going to be stay, or this place is not going to be around for very long. It's about to go boom. Yeah. But I was going to have the DHQS actually offer you guys a job at session 12? No, session 10. Uh, session 10 was basically going to be the DHQS job where they say, all right, we need you to do this thing for us. We're going to pay you more than fair market value. You cannot mention our name. And it's actually in your best interest not to mention our name because we know that people hate us. So uh, here you go. And uh, I wanted to get you guys' opinions on that. Do you think that it played well as far as it did? Um, we spent a lot of time more concerned with the loss proper mm -hmm. and the, the smaller aspects that went with it. Mm -hmm. And specifically, we really did zero in on, you know, Grapevine itself. So to be fair, I mean, we kind of skirted DHQS and the moths pretty heavily. I'll admit there's... You can call it a metagame, but in my case it was, I mean, yes, it's prior experience, but it's also, what would, the, what would we know in-universe? Don't fuck with the DHQS. Positive or negative, no matter how it seems, you always lose. So, uh, Vicky, always looking, at, looking after that bottom line, wants to avoid the fuck out of the DHQS. <laughs> For very good reason. 
Yeah, I kind of want to add, you know, add on to that just as as aspect of us being new players. Also, I I like the fact that we had DHQS and all this other stuff, but I found it was kind of nice we just focused on something a little small that we could easily grasp instead of both the enclave and the loss, and now DHQS and the ball. It's trying to get all that figured out. We're still trying one of the basics of the game, so I think that worked great the way it did play out that way. Uh, eventually, if we had kept on going, yeah, to start interacting elsewhere would have been nice. But I think with the way it went, it was actually perfect. I mean, it's a lot of stuff I and, uh, wouldn't know much about. And again, that's something to touch back on. Um, one of the things that the listeners, um, I've heard it like six, seven different people have mentioned the same thing and in the same way, that they love how Grapevine matured over time. Um, it became a very nice, wonderful place. It was a beautiful enclave. And I've had questions of, are we going to return to it in the future? Um, can we stat out grapevines so that other groups can use it? <laughs> I think well, my so one that's critique, a lovely I, legacy. Yeah. No, it is. Well, my yeah. one critique of grapevine is that independently of each other, we all picked, uh, a lot of us picked older old ladies for dependents. <laughs> and we kept putting more and more in. And the side joke and the microphones weren't running. It's like, okay, guys. We get TPK, we keep going, we pick up the dependents, they're all old women, and we can just like go around, we'll have like a catchphrase when we execute people, we'll be like, Thank you for being a friend. Of course, let's go and get. Yeah, that I mean that was that well, was kind of. Mine it was very Ray Sophia. Yeah, so. it really would. But I mean, it was kind of. It seemed like a good gimmick joke that I I almost want to do a mini camp. It's like a three, like one shot to three shot of that, just like the old lady squad. Uh, <laughs> but we we had this like we almost became an old folks home. It seemed like with our NPCs. That's we like, did have a whole. And lot that was on older. us partially because uh, we all kept referring to you know. All these old people. Okay, well, Granny Sophia, Ethel, and the old man. That's ones I've written down. Well, um, to be absolutely fair, when you look at who is able-bodied and who is not, um, generally people tend to think of the elderly and the children as being the two big groups that are not going to be able to go out and be takers. Um, the fact that you guys went with old ladies more than old men, it kind of, it kind of clicks. Um, Have you been in a nursing home? <laughs> actually, yes. My mom's at a um, retirement village now, and mm-hmm. I would say that the ratio is about eight to one. Yeah, that's There's, normal. Yeah, Look women you know. tend to outlive the. Yeah, women live to or tend to outlive the men. <laughs> That's not a grand plan. Guys just do stupid shit more. <laughs> hey, look at me! I'm gonna jump off this half thing. What's the, what's the bottom? Spikes. <laughs> Hold my beer and watch this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, let's see. We've covered a lot of different topics here. Um, one well, thing that I wanted to ask the players about. Um, there are the uh, Ubic forums, uh, which exist for red markets, and um, one of the uh, one of the forum users actually asked about possible direct interaction. Would we be able to use the Ubic forums in future games? And I think that that would be a heck of an idea if we could figure out a way to do it. If we could say the games are going to be going on at this particular time, um, maybe post a game announcement or something along those lines, and. Um, for kind of a boom-bust mode, um, it would be along the lines of, all right, um, at this point in time, you can refer to the Ubic forums. Uh, you can either direct message somebody that you know on the forums as your reference, or you can throw a uh, shout-out and ask for somebody to help you out. And there's a couple of them on there that 
that's actually a good thing. And there's a couple of them where, okay, good luck. Have fun with that. <laughs> David has helped me build an account on the Ubic forums. I still have not done anything directly in or out of character. Uh, I am terrified of social interactions under the best of circumstances, and I am of the opinion that internet forums and comments threads are where dignity and truth and decency go to die, painfully. That sounds about right, yeah. Mm. yeah. Fits for markets. Accurate. Yeah. Also fits for markets. <laughs> but um, I thought that it might be a fun little wrinkle. It might be something to look at in the future. Uh, what we could do is actually, well, how's this, to kind of give you give a little more narrative control over that? Um, the market can field the question. And that way the market can filter through instead of complete rando, this is what this player got. Okay. That actually prevents it from being, you know, I used up my contact and I get trolled by some jackass, you know. Also fair. Um, another thought that I had for it for future games is possibly using the uh, Ubic Forum as a way to find additional job ideas. Um, basically, um, what I would do is, instead of using your... Um, instead of using the one action to find a job, you could pull a job from Ubic. And if you had the thread, and it was a recent enough thread to where it's, okay, I've got this job from Ubic, and I can find a way to make it work, I would basically give you that job opportunity for free. But I would still have to roll it. Mm-hmm. I would say still go with a curated approach. Mm-hmm. And I know it seems like that cuts out the direct, direct uh, interaction, but it, I mean, it is still a pretty direct interaction with the group as a whole. This allows the uh, market to still kind of keep things within the realm of realistic possibilities. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want you to break into the break into the uh, the main area. I want you to find the president of the DHQS. Boop him on the stoop. I mean, you know that doesn't really that doesn't really work. Um, Hold on, let me get a drone. I know that I know that nobody on the forums would actually say that, but I'm just oh, now they will. I, I'm using hyperbole to <laughs> kind of yeah. I'm using hyperbole to kind of make my point. So uh, yeah. you know. But you know, get realistic ones. It Actually, would that would be an interesting it, kind of like heart of dark, reverse heart of darkness kind of thing. <laughs> but but it also kind of has that nice feel of the ye old D and D. Here, here's the jobs post in the inn. Here's all your options. <laughs> yeah. Hey. So again, if, if it was put to a specific form saying, you know, hey, we're having a session at this time, uh, please post job ideas. And I'll pick from a certain, you know, the ones that I think are most appropriate for this campaign at this point in time. Then, yeah, no, that would be pretty awesome, actually. Mm-hmm. It would be a great resource for the market. So, and not only that, but there are a lot of folks out there who don't actually have dedicated red markets groups, and I think that this would be a good way to at least give them a chance to have input into a campaign, even if they don't get to play. So, just throwing that out there on the table as a possibility. And it would be a great way also to test something. It's the, I want to run this concept at some point, not necessarily with Red Barkers, but with something else. How does this play out in this type of world? Exactly. And um, one of the biggest challenges that I faced for jobs definitely came into trying to find ways to tie into the different groups and in such a way as to keep it creative, keep it keep it different as opposed to this guy needs this commodity, go to place, get thing, come back. Uh, this lady needs commodity, go to this place, get thing, come back. Um, 
this person needs person shot, go to this place, kill dude, come back. Um, one of the biggest challenges for any kind of job is basically writing out that yeah. and then putting a fresh enough coat of paint on it that it looks different. And I think that um, we managed to pull that off. Uh, what were some of the more memorable jobs for you guys? Uh, we're going to start with Christy on this one. <laughs> it's a pretty obvious one for me, the bears. Oh, man. <laughs> Operation Chum Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to throw it out, um, when I put the uh, write-up on that one, uh, I got called all sorts of fun, fun names. <laughs> over the gift spot <laughs> the fact that I gave you guys three balanced stocks as a gift spot it was mm -hmm. seriously that's all you're giving them well this is a group that has gone for pistols and I know they're going to be going up against grizzly bears so at least I'm giving them some running room if they decide to shoot the bears because that is not going to end well for you just, <laughs> just throwing that out there at least if you shoot them from medium range you can shoot and now we run <laughs> Run. Run. With, Run. <laughs> and my dice were not cooperating with me on that one. That's why you got covered in oh. chum. <laughs> well, I think that your dice uh, cooperated with you far less on spot checks because there was the oh, running good. gag. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Alice looks for a... Th or Alex Alex. Looks Lex. For Lex. 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 Lex looks for a thing fails a spot check, and face plants into a side. Right. This yet? is how I always do yes. things. Didn't Lex actually fall down the stairs to the bunker? I can't. Yes. 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 Lex just yes, like, trips and falls. Like, I forgot about that. It's like, get back up here. No, there's a light on. Do not open the... Do not open the... Don't open the fucking I'm door! I'm going to do it! I'm going to do the thing! Vicky was like the worst kindergarten teacher ever. <laughs> that's horrible. And uh, by the way, that does tie into another question that's been asked a couple of times. What the fuck was up with the game show? Seriously, what the fuck? Nothing anymore. <laughs> well, I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> so I have to say that was one of two legs that I actually designed myself. Um, the rest of them all came out of the book on random roll charts. I uh, tried my hand at designing legs, and I thought to myself, if we had a bunch of rich assholes who were living in the uh, recession what would they do for sport? And I immediately flashed back to the arena fight from the Brutalists where there were a bunch of people in the loss that were basically wagering bounty on how long people would survive in an arena full of casualties. And I thought the only real difference between the loss and the recession would be basically a coat of paint. So I decided to make the game show as brutal, but as... Uh, how do I word it? Polished brutality as I could. Um, mm -hmm. It was a really fun and interesting idea. I actually thought, I thought I thought it was great, uh, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I fucked that one up for us right off the bat because I'm like, hold on, let me call out. No, you get all the casualties. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> and originally, I was going to put three trivia rooms in there. Um, my original uh, build of it was, yeah, we're going to do three different. Uh, Impossible trivia question, but um, I knew that on that first one, what was the gross national product of uh, Sri Lanka on the day of the crash? I put a 
the question as nonsensical as I could because I knew it would be one that, of course, you're going to try to call out for. Of course, you're going to use. I was the trying Unix. to be sneaky, <laughs> but uh, of course, they're going to be assholes about it. So we dealt with it. Oh, you did. <laughs> we survived. And, and then when it came to the uh, gentleman who was strapped to the bench that had the bite that was infected, and it was, you can cut off his leg in time to save him. Or, or find the bite and cut off the limb. Well, um, I think it showed up. The, I think it actually showed a lot of the character attitudes about uh, human life in general. It did. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, some people are trying, are like biting their nails, people are working around it. Cross is like debating, debating. Fuck it. <laughs> Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Vicky gave him the shot. She's not a nice person. Again, she was explicitly designed to be a bad, bad person, which I believe I repeated a lot during the campaign. You did. <laughs> you did. And um, actually, out of all of it, you did cut to the quick a lot quicker, because that was the only way you were going to save his life was give him the shot. Um, people in the recession who don't know how the blight works, uh, who don't realize that even though the propaganda all says a bite means a bullet... Um, there have been a lot of different places in zombie media where people have seen where, oh no, Jim Bob got bit. Cut the arm off right above the bite. There we go. It didn't get into his bloodstream that fast. Yeah, that's the thing about the blight. If he's been bitten and it's been more than half a second, it's in his system. And the infection is going to kick through at a plot appropriate amount of time. I forget so. if I'm using the term properly. I might be using it wrong. I think wasn't that referred to as the Romero effect? Where people thought they knew how zombies worked or something like that, and they fucked it up royal. I think that is. I, I, um, that, I'm probably wrong, but I mean, you know. I've never heard that, but it sounds like it, a thing it that was exists. actually a thing in the text. So it definitely does sound like a thing. But uh, yeah, as far as what the fuck was up with the game show, that was people. me basically making my social commentary on just people in general. Um, people are always going to come up with the most brutal things that they can. And if they can find a way to make it entertaining and for sport, of course they're going to. This is why, well, this is why a lot of people go to watch MMA fighting as opposed to watch uh, scantily clad men in shorts that are greased up just wrestle each other in a, yeah. <laughs> Some of us get different things out of it, but moving on. Um, the uh, other leg that I designed was the uh, aberrant. And I will say that the aberrant that claimed Dutch's life was my own creation. I'm sorry, Dutch. Not like it. Sorry, way to go out. <laughs> and um, anyone who wishes to use it, the rules for how to make it are on the RPPR forums and on Ubic. And uh, good luck to your players. To your players, I'm also sorry. I think I had the greatest advice for that one. Yeah, I think you did yes, too. Yes, you did. I had a giant rock in my hand, and yeah. I couldn't run anyway. Uh, but you, you were being the, the heroic paladin. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if there's that. anything that you could go back and redo... Um, Run? <laughs> run? Run? Well, uh, for me, I, that's, uh, yeah, to have run, I think, would have made sense, but at the same time, it just really fit, fit more to the character that way. That's why I just stayed there. I figured I already had a giant rock in my hands, and I can't run anyway. I think I only had a speed of one on Dutch, so... Yeah, you're going to stand with the, with, the range, with the reach that he had, that's the way I had to think my way through. It's like, I can't get away from this, so I'm just going to have to stand and fight because I can't get away. Um, but that was my view on that. For going back and changing anything... Um, honestly, I couldn't think of anything in particular that I wouldn't change too much. Maybe it should have different stats a little bit from the beginning. I did play it a little soft. Um, that's why I went to Alice thereafter, because it seemed to be 
pretty useful to kill things better than Dutch was, but I like the way Dutch played out pretty well. Well, and again, the uh, the Dutch storage yeah, yeah. worked real well. Alice, Alice was straight DPS, but Dutch was a tactician. Yeah. I, I was coming up with more ideas for you, <laughs> so we could switch it up so David doesn't start using that to murder us, because I knew it was going to come. Yeah, well, that's, It would have been expected. hilarious if one of us had a flamethrower at some point, that way we could have created a maneuver called the Dutch Oven. Yeah, yeah. that would have been great. Oh, which, <laughs> nice. Nice. because of the punny nature of it. But that's also playing to audience. Well, what we had instead was, I don't know what you call it, the Dutch firing line, where Dutch jams the door and we lean past him and start shooting. <laughs> Dutch had to have the worst fucking tinnitus by the time yeah. we <laughs> well, the Dutch firing squad, but yeah. the, du- the Dutch must have a military history. We could go back and oh, find easily. a famous Dutch commander who yeah. did some cool we thing will. and then play that. Yeah. So, so are we going to name you guys your next character Coco? The, uh, so what? Even though you guys were all using silenced handguns, there's still going to be the tinnitus because it would have been pew, pew, well, pew. Technically, the silencer is a Hollywood term. They're actually called suppressors. Yeah. <laughs> Still There's right over my shoulder yeah. every time. But it looked cool, damn it. Yes, it did. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, stay away. And he probably <laughs> caught a couple of shell casings. It's one of those, why do you have so many little bitty round marks on your... Uh, they're probably like more like cylinders with a, like one little line at the end. Yeah. Where do you get those little bitty burn marks? It's uh, bullet kisses. They're, they're, they're a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if if I could step back from it uh, about which job was the most interesting, we immediately started talking about the custom legs and the way some of those played out, and I think that speaks a lot to what made the game so interesting and versatile was, okay, you've got this job, it's going to take you X number of days yeah. to get there, but the legs mix things up and make it interesting. You can wind up getting dragged into subplots that don't directly correlate to what the immediate job is. That's actually something that I want to adapt into games that I run, regardless of whether or not they're red markets, because that's a good way to get more player input and get players hooked into other aspects of the setting. Um, I'm kind of, kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of work with that actually. Uh, again, we had a lot of setups. I think Dave, Dave was it was one other of your little innovations. Uh, the uh, I see a little like it was diminishing. It's, it's actually really cool. Uh, the minefield was a really memorable one. I, to me. I, I bitched about it mm-hmm. so much when it happened, but the endurance run. Yeah. Yes. The endurance mm-hmm. run was. I mean, at the first of it, I was getting pissed off about like you know. Yes, we got a simple solution. Just shoot the box. We snipe the box. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> All right, scrub it. Going. <laughs> Second part. Uh, we, again, we go for the endurance thing. Second part. The mansion. We get up to the. We hit the second floor after all this hard work and careful planning, and we D and D take twenty check for traps. The fuck out of that shit. We get up there, and the last trap before we get to the door is a rug with marbles under it. <laughs> and I think I kind of like. We up against Macaulay, goddamn talking. <laughs> that yes. was fun, though. Yes, you did. No, it was. It was. It was a great. It was a great setup for it, and we. Did, that, I believe that was the one we managed to save. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. that was the one of the three. And the last one, we just hit house jumping and impersonating the DHQS mm-hmm. and sniping and blowing shit up and just yeah. And if I may toot my horn a little bit on this one, I am proud of myself for the Harkonnen handbiter. <laughs> Which yes, so I'm going to feel up this man who is wearing next to nothing. Okay, razor. Uh, but then there was the. Ah, then there was the, who the, would do that? Then there was the the Nauman. Why? I don't want to say it. We're like, okay, we survived it. Wait, well, 
I guess we could stop off at that seemingly abandoned bunker. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> we get in there, and it's just the mo- the biggest fucking disappointment. Like, spoiled open spam and clothes that are all the wrong size and nothing of real value. Maybe one gun, I think. I forget. Actually, there was, was a vintage guns. gun in okay. there. That's right. There was a uh, vintage the gun, rifle. and then I gave you guys your choice of three different yeah. other guns. Because the one thing that they packed up well was guns. They... Um, they expected that a fallout was going to be one of those things that happened Im- or imminently. And pre-crash, like three days before the crash, they had refilled all of the medicine, all of the food. David, the problem is that a lot of that stuff does spoil after five years. David, did you ever watch the, it, it, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, the show Apocalypse Preppers? Mm-hmm. Now everybody's mm-hmm. got their different strategies. That could be a good like guideline for figuring out what's hidden away in bunkers or secret you know, passages. Like there was one couple, they stocked up on booze. They were super religious. They didn't drink, but when, as they everybody in every fucking episode said, when it hits the fan, uh, they were going to trade booze because nobody's got a distillery like fully running anymore. So that was going to be their main trade. Uh, so you can like look at different examples of how people set up their boogie bags or whatever, and that could be like what well, you actually find. As a matter of fact, um, one of the NPCs I planned out, of course, that was Doris's plan. Um, the reason why she managed to get herself bought into Grapevine in the first place was she traded cigarettes for a place. And she had so many cigarettes left over because... She raided a smoke stock or smoke shop and filled up the back of a U-Haul, I basically actually, with all the cigarettes. That actually did come up when I was trying to reimburse her for our uh, botched job against <laughs> the, the rainbow. Yeah, we, we managed to track down the really exotic ones and do some extra trade because keep the customer happy. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, so you now I was just saying like that might be kind of an interesting way to kind of stock up different bunkers. Why is this one full of nothing but toilet paper? Yes! <laughs> you know we how bring, useful that stuff is? We bring you comfort and joy. <laughs> we bring you comfort and charmin. Yeah, don't Enjoy the go. <laughs> Seriously, uh, we had to cap Whipple. Um, <laughs> that would be a great taker name. Oh my god. Whipple. Mr. Whipple. Yeah. Okay, next campaign, calling it. <laughs> go, Mr. Whipple. Why? I don't fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> don't I love squeeze you guys my so Charmin. Okay, um, no, you call your gun Charmin. You don't squeeze that Charmin. Nobody gets trigger. to squeeze Charmin but me. <laughs> Actually, you can so, make Charmin independent. I don't know. I mean, anyway. So, um, two questions uh, that still need to get asked. Um, and then we're really, really close to wrap up. Actually, I think we've got three questions left. Uh, one of them was uh, How did Enclave creation go? Because um, Sean was not present for it, mm-hmm. but my other three takers were. And since this was first experience with Red Markets, mm-hmm. also first experience with Red Markets, mm-hmm. and first experience with a campaign, mm-hmm. but you had listened to one. Um, I had listened to one, but I don't think Enclave Creation was part of the Rudalist's recording. And you'd done the one shots. Yeah. And normally the Enclave Creation isn't a part of that either. Right. So, where did the genesis of Grapevine come from? Well, I think we all decided that a mall was a good place. We, I remember we all pitched an idea for a general setting, a shopping mall, a police station, or something, and we all settled, we all liked 
that idea because of the the legacy of zombie apocalypse settings that do take place in a mall. It's a yeah. classic trope. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it where is. it came from, and I I think I was the one that initially brought out that idea because I'd been to Dallas recently. And there is actually a Great Finds Mall down there, which is one of those. Big, I actually giant I actually brought back. Malls. I, I went um, there on a trip recently, and I brought back some maps of the actual mall with me. It's a nice yeah. place. Yeah. And there's, there's no resemblance to what we created, but it, it's fun. Yeah, it was a good um, start. The one that, um, actually, I think Christy pulled up during the um, during the creation session, mm-hmm. uh, she pulled up a map of a multi-level mall, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. map was the genesis of... Um, it was the genesis of grapevine as we know it. Because we found the hunting goods store, the department the store, all the different anchors kind of fed into the anchor yeah. groups. Yeah, that w- I think that was what cinched it for me, was the variety of locations that you can visit. There's there's sporting goods stores, there's toy stores, there's clothes, clothing sure. stores. <laughs> um, I when I was in the actual mall, I walked by a store, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a clothing, like wedding dresses and good women's finery, and had this beautiful lacquered wooden floor, and I'm like, that's where the hoedown happened. (laughs) There you go. And also, the, hmm. And that would be Vicky's power suit right there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh wait, there's her yoga pants. Yeah. Yoga. I also remember that um, during the creation, I asked about different NPCs. I pitched a couple of different ideas, and I said, well, why would this person be there? And um, you guys created Pennyworth as a group, Mm -hmm. but in a different way than he ended up. Um, Basically, you guys uh, pointed to the idea of, yeah, of course, he's the guy that understands the way that the power works, but for some reason, he doesn't get along with people. And I said, well, there's a couple of options for that. He can either be completely lacking in charisma, but he knows what he does so well that nobody else can actually do it, so he's irreplaceable. Um, I pitched the idea that perhaps he was a former taker, and who was it who suggested that he is actually a swordsman and he has the faces of all of his foes along mannequins leading into his office? Uh, yeah, that may have been me. I think that was Adam. Yeah. I think we all started playing with it almost immediately because it was fun. I, I, I think that wound up uh, turning into the he's so reclusive uh, and storied that any one of those things or all of those things could be true. We just don't know because he never comes out. And that was the version that I eventually went with is because I thought, okay, I like the idea of the healthy dose of fear, but I also think that if he is literally killing people and putting their faces up, there will be an angry mob at some point because there's only so much, hey, thanks for the air conditioning that people will put up with. <laughs> Although, zombie apocalypse, it could be five or six faces before it happened because, let, let's face it, air conditioning is the bomb. Well, instead, he went with a slightly, almost like a shot at a clockwork frickin' orange, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the intro yeah. to, to like the actual negotiation table. So, I mean, that's how I envisioned it. It had this kind of Kubrick-esque sort of, you know, <clears throat> The, the stark white in. room yeah. with everything very yeah. angular. Yeah, I can see that. Like walking into I, an ice cube. I just wanted to give him one eye with eyeliner. <laughs> 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 but that's just my head. Um, you could have drunk milk. And another thing to go along with that, a question for me. Which NPCs did you guys like the most, dislike the most? Um, I know that Doris definitely... 
played to the group's heartstrings, and I thank you for that. Um, but um, which of the NPCs that you guys encountered did you like the most? Which ones spoke to you the most? Did you see as actual good people, real people? And which ones did you just kind of go, oh, shit, not this one again? Um, probably for me, I mean, Doris, of course, was way up there as a good, a good person to go to. Um, but beyond her, I honestly was a big fan of Zero and her sort of background story that, you, that we got to a little bit. She, it felt real, sort of kind of like my character's shit happened to her, and now she has to deal with it. Um, I really like that aspect of it. As for the one to, oh, shoot, not this guy again, um, I think we are doing the Enclave. We made the whole Cabela's group. The, the Rambo himself was a little different than what I had expected out of that. So that was one the one that if I could, if I, could, if I had to name one, it's, oh, it's that again, it's the Rambo, because it didn't quite fit what my original view of that group was. I mean, kind of did, but not quite fully. It's a little weird to me. I really didn't get a chance to flesh him out as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I think that if I'd had a bit more of a chance, he would have been more than just the survive war, go to become war. Yeah. Just, he felt wooden and two-dimensional, or actually, he felt wooden and one-dimensional to me. Yeah. But um, I really didn't give much of a chance, though, either. Yeah. Yeah. Had you guys actually pursued the job a little bit more, you would have found out that... The current Rambo is actually Bernie from accounting. He's a very shell-shocked veteran who was extremely good at paintballing back in the day, somehow managed to translate his skills, and he is hopefully out of his depth. Um, Anyone who has seen One Punch Man, I thought of the Rambo as basically being King, the guy who gets all of the credit for the shit that Saitama does that can't do a damn thing. I thought that that was going to be him. It's, what is his power? He intimidates everybody because he is the Rambo. (laughs) That would have been amusing if the campaign had dragged on and uh, Desperado had had more interactions with characters because that was sort of the concept for him. Like he's uh, he survived only by virtue that he happened to be good at playing cowboy. He he should have died within days of the crash, except that he was actually good at what he did. Yeah. Well, that, that would have been an interesting line. So we're going for okay. Honestly, in the long run, okay. At first, we have like you know, there's the connection with Doris. That was kind of a basic. But that was kind of a basic kind of quick player interaction mm-hmm. thing, and Vicky had the obvious reason to latch onto her. But later on, part of the later game, uh, kind of a weird rallying point for the group were Dutch's kids. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. so much fucking drama around yes. these two kids and who's going to take care of them. We wound up splitting them up, kind of. And yeah, I was, and I had Jason. I had James because. I will be damned if I'm letting Black Math take one of those little shits. <laughs> no, no, no. No Black Math. You want the red line. <laughs> uh, so, no, I don't the, have to turn on the right light. The, the, Dutch's kids, I felt, I mean, after Dutch's unfortunate, you know, incident, uh, Dutch's kids became this, like, big point for a whole lot of drama, a whole lot of uh, vignettes, yeah. and they just kept coming up to the forefront. I thought that, you know, again, we, we, we were playing them, but they were really... They took on this organic, just this life of their own, and uh, all the circumstances around them that came up, just the whole group pitched into that, and I felt that was like some of the better role playing that we had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, sorry, Dutch, but you did create a great opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> really well, did. did my part. Then mm. <laughs> we're doing great. these things for the kids. <laughs> I was kind of pissed off. At I was gonna go, <laughs> gonna go with that, but I did kind of like, you know. That there was some undertone with Pennyworth, you know, when we went to the house of the Matt with Marbles, 
But that you makes know, my that, take that, a of marbles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. He has a slingshot. <laughs> hey, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> You're getting the eggy this time, asshole. <laughs> but the so. photo she found of Pennyworth w- with the uh, couple who had take had, you know, basically suicide pacted. You know, it it had that. Here's a story here, and it's a hurtful story, and you know, showing the depths of that character under that icy, dem- you know, under the icy, icy veneer. veneer. You see mm-hmm. that he actually does have a heart, and then when you give him the picture, mm-hmm. he hangs it on the wall. He thanks you for it, and you see no crack in the veneer at all. It's there's. There is a heart underneath there, I, I'm sure. I'm not certain if it's beating, but it's in there. It's in there somewhere. So I kind of liked that touch there. Now, the ones that kept coming up that, and it's like, not them again, those dang white knights. <laughs> One <laughs> that, of the that. rival taker groups that uh, were never directly faced. <laughs> well, well, I managed to fuck them over on several occasions yes. indirectly by verbally just haranguing the shit out of them with all of our uh, clients. In the water. And, and then there was the water And incident. then there was the water incident. Yeah. And, I, uh, I figured that was a very red bark at some point. <laughs> it, it was. was. Yeah. And, um, that, that, that was a good I also have little, to just here's how this thing could go. Um, each of these rival taker groups that I, I want to throw kudos to Sean just because the dice absolutely loved him. Um, it seemed like on every uh, final roll where he could come up against the other takers, um, he either had enough spin from a previous roll, or he just crit succeeded to the point where it's, yeah, no, I'm never going to work with those people. Um, I'm pretty sure that the White Knights kind of had to move on to another enclave because they lost a couple of members and they weren't getting any work because you guys just swept the legs right out from them. And that's why we ended up with a different rival taker group. Um, the, uh, the Jets... The Chotos were supposed to be originally our our main rivals, and I don't think we ever we just shit we just we sit around shit talking them and move on. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and they actually had to move on eventually too because there were a couple of jobs where they were the ones who were going to be coming up against you, and then you had the crit success at just the right part. So it was they were going to bring up the fact. Well, uh, Benny and the Chotos are going to be. Uh, Working on this. Ah, oh, no, fuck it. No, we're not even going to bother. Well, with I think guys. One, one, the first thing that got brought up it was like, oh, you don't want to. Well, the Chodos, do you know why they call the Jets? They move too quickly. You need to be methodical in the loss. They just run in, smash, grab, leave a mess for everybody else to run into when they go back out there. It's ugly and it gets people killed, and they're a blight upon our entire enclave. <laughs> Stuff, shit like that. I mean, so yeah, more often than not, you actually <laughs> force the other taker groups to leave because you. Ruined their chances for getting jobs. Prison rules until, came up, and uh, they, we actually played ball with them. I was yeah. going to say yeah. mm-hmm. until prison rules showed up because we actually got a little bit of a camaraderie with them. I mean, we we intimidated them a couple of times for <laughs> information, <laughs> but also uh, uh, Ethel had a jog a morning jogging partner, yes. and uh, some of them were cool. Which, and by the way, have to throw it out there: um, prison rules. My ass, you're welcome. Yeah. No, nice. it worked. It worked. It worked. Yeah. Yet another NPC ass pull. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I like I very like the concept of that taker group. Do they they seem to really fit the theme and whatnot? Like, hey, that makes a lot of sense. I like it. I, but, I yeah, enjoy when uh, we also had a bustle that just knocked them around a little bit. So. Yeah, and I enjoy anytime expectations get subverted and you expect to a a former convict crew to be really hardened and will cut you as soon as look at you and oh they're they're regular people who yeah. have a variety of skills and are trying to survive just like the rest of us. I think what do you me, know? For me the bigger appeal was again we forced out some rivals so it's like oh shit we need more. Boom here's these guys be afraid we're scarier than you. <laughs> you had to move in here. You came to the darkness. We were born to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then somehow we just like do the do the, the walk by and nod thing, and somehow we're, we're friends for inexplicable purposes. <laughs> I don't know. It worked. I liked it. So the, yeah. you got the, the red market solid equivalent. intimidation early on. <laughs> the the red market equivalent of the EI Jutsu. Just staring at your dueling opponent and shoring them up. <laughs> and then you both bow and walk away because it's... Sil- silently am nod. Am I going to draw my sword? No, I am not going to draw my sword because one of us is going to get cut to death and there's a pretty good chance it's going to be me. <laughs> and you're both sitting there thinking the exact same thing and in this case it's just, well played, good sir. <laughs> Stat-wise, Vicky was not physically very intimidating. Until the end. Physically, By the end, no. I spent enough enough development points to just, she was a scary, scary, horrible person. Uh, she was a monster. But in the, initially, it was all bluff and uh, a few really good roles and hiding behind the rest of the group going <laughs> like a like a bad Batman villain going, get them! And swinging her fist at the, at the, at the air. <laughs> Again, everybody played into it so perfectly that it actually created this like layer uh, layer of who's up next. Yeah, uh, and it, it worked out just beautifully. So. And even in dealing with Dutch's death, um, Vicky showed that she could out intimidate. Um, Practically anybody. I think she scared the fuck out of a crowd before uh, one of the black math nuns stepped in. Uh, well, it was the black math nuns. Yeah, was I, love I shot the guy in the head first, I think. <laughs> yeah. I you oh, didn't shoot him. She there. started it, then you backed her up as well. Okay. Yeah. She started it up. It was the next person who moves is going to get an ass full of lead. And then you yeah, proceed to show She's up. Awesome. Uh, you shot the wall directly beside a guy's face, that and you it. went, oh. Oops, I missed. I'm going to turn on my Ubik so that the next shot hits home. That was it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh. yeah, you still, even without standing behind Dutch, you found somebody big and scary to stand behind <laughs> and managed to look even bigger and even scarier. This is my sub-boss. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was really... She's just a horrible, manipulative, manipulative awful person, so... So we're going to pull fun. that pin out. Okay. And uh, I want greater detail on Vicky's ending. Well, So what exactly? To understand uh, Vicky's ending, you have to understand her beginning. And it's a thing that I was tr- I would allude to and I was trying to build up. And I actually, it's what I literally dropped in the group before even trying to play the character. Originally, I wasn't going to play Vicky. I was going to play Reggie, her beleaguered assistant, and Vicky was still running the Red Cult. He escaped the Red Cult. And didn't want to talk about it. But the more I was trying to develop this background just so I could have like minor incidents to refer to, I'm like, God, I'm a I'm a horrible person. Vicky sounds like more fun. <laughs> I'll just say that she basically when when everything went to hell, she you know how there's that image of like uh you know uh Lord Humongous, the kind of people who would somehow prevail in an apocalyptic scenario. I thought of a former boss of mine. <laughs> and uh, that that was Vicky. 
and then I just kept fleshing her out until finally I had this evil cult leader, and I was going to like leave that behind and use her assistant. And then I played her instead, and just said the cult fell, and so she had this hidden dark past. I know, cliche as fuck, but and I was going to my arc that I'd built for her. She was going to gradually reveal more and more of it, and get more and more horrible and horrible as time went on, and. As like all the cloth tears away, you see the ugly monster inside, just waiting to just lash out at everybody. And then Reggie was going to show up partway in, even though she was paying for him, which he did, and uh, become more of this like weird cat's paw, which did happen. I expected a few more sessions to flesh it out <laughs> to get to the point of does she go full Red Queen? And I know it's technically not an accurate thing from Alice in Wonderland. It's actually a purposeful. Uh, Misquote, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. It was it was done on purpose because. Ah, are you really gonna question the the veracity of the reference when you're being held down by a bunch of armed guards and she's screaming, "Cut his fucking head off!" No, no, probably not. Or maybe it's your last words. I don't know. Excuse me. Shouldn't that be <laughs> off with his head? Wait. You mean the Queen of Hearts? The Red Queen was a different person. Die. <laughs> put, put down the put down the katana. Get the hacksaw. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so Butter knife? The idea was that the cult... got an olive fork. The idea was that the cult fell and she was a hustler. Well, that was her tough spot. Her network was going to be people that knew the cult, which is what we did play through, and we'd hint at. Oh, you mean... Right, we don't, we don't go by that name anymore. Uh, we're Vicky now. And there was going to be this split of personality eventually. I was expecting the 13 to 14, 15 episodes maybe to develop this. At least I was trying to do it more of a, a feel it out. Kind of like the other campaigns? Yeah. Basically just, just slowly bring the character around and see where I want to go with this. Is she going to be a good person and finally just pull her head, you know, pull herself out of the fire and just, she is reborn? Or does she go just down that fucking rabbit hole? Yeah, I know. Keep going. Uh, and uh, become a cult leader again or do something really awful. And, again, I hate, I kind of hate played this character a little bit, so by the time we got to the ending, it came a little bit sooner than I expected. So, yeah, I panicked, uh, started just throwing my shit in handfuls at it. And uh, um, The big question that had come up is, do you want the happy ending? And you even said yourself, I she does not get the happy. Well, she uh, can't I, get the happy. I rolled the happy, and so it was like, she walked up to the door, I'm like, she doesn't deserve a happy ending. She's horrible. She sent people to die. She's done all these awful things. No. She doesn't get it. I want there to be some justice. She's a bad person. Uh, I mean... The just, Path of Redemption can be a story in itself, but that's usually the main campaign. Right, and, and we didn't have enough time to really do it, and she didn't really redeem herself at any point. She just kept degenerating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just went... To the point where she finished it off by driving a truck full of cooking oil away from a bu- bunch of cultists whose uh, base of operations she had simultaneously... We all did that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I also... I'm glad you brought that up. I want to comment on the nice bookends that the campaign began and end on, that our first job was uh, stealing uh, cooking equipment from a building called Fire, exclamation point, exclamation point, and the campaign ended on us stealing cooking cooking oil from a building that was on On fire, fire. exclamation point, exclamation point. point. (laughs) I I think it worked out. Again, it wasn't really planned, but it's kind of how it worked out. Uh, I didn't think about it until three weeks later. So I'll admit, uh, Vicky's ending is super ham-handed. I overrode the dice on purpose because it was just me, you know, Vickying Vicky, I guess you'd say. <laughs> I just went, you don't get to have that. You no. pulled Vicky. Bad Vicky. 
<laughs> but I do love the fi- or the big finale that you did say that you wanted to track down the people responsible for the game show because what the fuck? I made a promise. Yeah. And I followed through with that promise. And then I got killed by DHQS drones. So, yes. was it a sniper? I forget. Or both. I think we said kind of a drone strike. We figured that they would eventually yeah. set whatever building you were in completely on fire and make sure that it, you burned to ashes. Along with anybody else for like a mile. I don't know. Yeah, no, pretty much. So we went with that. Uh, again, it, it it was a bit ham-handed. It was a bit forced. It was a bit sped up. Uh, I was going to try to make it this like crucial point where does she go one way or the other. Uh, I'll admit, I, it's a thing I love doing with a lot of characters. Um, I did that with Cuddy. I did. I also did that in uh, oh, a mini campaign of Hicks and Draconis for a three-parter where the character just gets more, based on how his interactions with the other PCs who are all like murder hobo-ish. He just... He was an idealist paladin type, and he gradually gets more and more disheveled as the campaign goes on, and nobody gives him hope. <laughs> so he just gets worse, and by the end of it, he's just knocking shit over and going, this is bullshit, I'm out of here. Uh, but no, I love the idea of like developing a character and having that good ending versus bad ending possibility. So, uh, yeah, sorry about that. It could have been a lot more cleanly executed. It just, we ran out of time. And let's see, two last notes. Uh, first one. Um, I would like for you to pick one of the four quotes under that purple line. Um, uh, ask that question to that NPC, just not the one that's marked. Of course. So, because this one's a near and dear to my heart, this is going to boon. Bears? Seriously? Well, yeah, I, I know everything there is to know about bars, but that, that's basically all I got. Um, I also can tell you a little bit about the trash panda, too. You want to know about the raccoons? You got a raccoon problem? I do have a raccoon problem. Well, they've got these cute little human hands, and if you give them, like, a sugar cube, they just wash it and it disappears. It's the funniest thing ever. (laughs) But bears? Yeah, yeah, bars. Like, bars? Bars. Bars. Just not the white ones. This is too far south for the white ones. Uh-huh. And if you see uh, one of the black and white ones that's uh, either a police car <laughs> or that's, uh, that, that's a non-trash panda. Um, the Bob, I, I heard about uh, the deal you made with Cross, God rest his soul. Uh, rest his soul. You know, you don't have to charge an arm and a leg, literally. Hey, you got your business model, I got my business model. I'm the only doctor out here making house calls. I'm the only one with an ambulance. I can set my prices wherever they want. If I want to charge an arm and a leg, I'm going to charge an arm and a leg. Be happy with what you get. I might be mercenary as fuck, but you know what? My prices are listed on the side of the ambulance. They're right there. <laughs> well, I'll be damned. So they are. Remind me not to get shot. What's that flag drop one for? Uh, you don't want to know about that. So, uh, <laughs> Ivan, how'd you get to Grapevine? Ivan was ballerina. Traveled with company. You should see me pirouette. End up in Texas. Zombie happened. 
Did you start off in like Branson or something? No. Was that Yakov Smirov Theater? Oh. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Doris's office. You know, Doris, these things will kill you. <laughs> he says, he You know what else will kill you, darling? Fried food will kill you. Knives will kill you. The sunrise will kill you. Anything out here in the loss will kill you. So if you gotta choose your way to go, choose your way to go. You know, I Doris, may be leaving, but I'm gonna be leaving in flavor country. You know, Doris, that reminds me. Might have an interesting job. I don't know if you'd be an inter- inter- interested by it. It's, 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 it's a rainy day kind of job. How would you feel about a little bit of surplus cooking oil? I'm interested. <laughs> and so questions to my NPCs my love to all of my players and I have one last uh, question to answer what can we the listeners look forward to and I am absolutely pleased to make the finale of one Red Markets campaign the announcement of the next so I've talked with my players about uh, running one that is an experimental and it was either going to be Endless Waltz where everyone plays Lala's uh, you know Takers who are all lost for life. Ones who have no retirement, we just go until the wheels fall off the truck. They decided they didn't want to do that one. And so I am pleased to announce the next Red Markets campaign, Grim Fandango, where all four of my player takers are going to be stewards for the DHQS. So this time around, let's see how bad they're going to be at being good. (laughs) So, folks, uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.